Hi, welcome. Thanks for joining us this evening. Glad that you could uh, take the time out of your schedule to join with us as we study the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 40 is where we're going to be. My name is Pastor Art. I'm very thankful for this opportunity that we have to study God's Word together. Isaiah chapter 40 this evening. One of my friends had posted online the other day that he had sunk to a new time low. He said he was in the uh, store as as he was shopping. He was looking around for the Corona essentials. He was looking for his toilet paper. He was looking for some peroxide. He was looking for some hand sanitizer, whatever he could get his hands on. As he walked through the store, like many of us, he's noticed that those things aren't on the shelves. And so as he was walking through and looking around, he noticed an older gentleman who had a cart full of these, all these essentials. He was a little irate. He looked at the gentleman he looked around, he'd noticed that there were some families looking for the same thing, some moms with their kids looking for the same items. So he decided he was going to walk over to the gentleman and just ask him if he was ashamed of himself. So as he walked to the gentleman and talked with him, he said, Sir, aren't you ashamed of yourself? You have all this stuff in your, your cart that's all over the place, that all these people are looking for these items, moms, kids, and yet you have all of them. After he uh, took, took this man to task, said the man looked at him and said, are you done yet? And he said, well, yeah. He's like, good, because I'd like to get back to restocking the shelves if it's okay with you. And he just, he looked and he realized, he's like, well, uh, yeah. You know, it really was a matter of perspective, he said, how he was looking at things. He went in with this perspective of this is what everybody's doing. They're hoarding it. And here's this gentleman who was just looking to do his job. Perspective is really interesting. Perspective is how we look at things, and how we look at things sometimes makes a really big difference. And so as this man was looking around, he had to change his perspective. But what about this? Have you ever seen this picture? This is a picture. It's uh, called the wife and mother-in-law. Depending on how you focus on the picture, you're going to see either a mother-in-law or you're going to see a wife. If you notice on the, uh, on the mother-in-law, you can see her, her face, her nose, the, the eyes, or maybe you're looking at the, the wife and you see the pillbox hat and her turned away, her glance looking away. It's all in how you look at that perspective or that picture. And perspective is a, a it really does make a difference. In Isaiah chapter 40, we're going to see that Isaiah, uh, the book of Isaiah here is in transition. And there's going to be a perspective shift that occurs from Isaiah 1 to 39. You're going to notice that there was a lot of judgment. There was a lot of difficulty and things that were happening. And Isaiah was coming down on Israel and Judah and saying to them, hey, this is wrong. You've been living in sin. You've been doing things that are wrong. And now when we get to Isaiah chapter 40, there's going to be a change in perspective. There's going to be a transition to hope and to comfort. The book so far has been all about that indictment and judgment. But now we have this hope. And in Isaiah chapter 36 to 39, there's what's called a historic interlude. The historic interlude takes place where you see with King Hezekiah, some of his highs and his lows. And as you get to the end of that interlude by chapter 39, you're going to see what Hezekiah does. He's almost at the end of his life and he turns to God and God spares his life and gives him a few more years. But as he gives him a few more years, Hezekiah's pride creeps in a little bit. The, uh, the people from Babylon, the, the kings, the princes, they come down to Babylon and as they're looking around, Hezekiah shows him, he says, look at all of the things that I have, all of my treasures, all of my wealth. And he shows them all the way around the city. And as you see that in chapter 39, verses 5 to 7, he says, hear the word of the Lord. The days are going to come, Isaiah says to, to him. The days shall come in your house and in your fathers have stored up this day 
will be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left. Sun shall be taken away and shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king. Isaiah 39 tells Judah what is about to happen to them. Now it's going to be a hundred years down the road. But as this is happening, Judah is now being told by Isaiah the prophet that you are going to be taken away and you're going to be taken away to Babylon by these Babylonians, these same ones that you just paraded around the town. It's going to be a hundred years later. And even 70 years after that, the people who are in exile are going to be wondering. They're going to be looking and and trying to figure out, okay, does God still care about us? They're starting to wonder as they are in that exile, does God still care? Does God know that we are here? They've been ripped from their homes. They've been made to live in an area they did not know. The livelihood they once had was no more. They were longing for a return to normalcy. They're wondering how long until we get to go back from this exile. What's interesting to me is as we look at this, and even as we face our current crisis that we're in, our perspective can make all the difference. Will we respond like Hezekiah? When Hezekiah found this out, look at his response in in verse 8. Verse 8 says this, Good is the word of the Lord that you have spoken. Hezekiah says, okay, this is a good thing that you have spoken. He just said you're going to be exiled. And he says, good is the word that you have spoken. And he said, moreover to himself, for there shall be peace and truth or security in my day. Hezekiah looks and says, well, I guess we're going to be in exile, but I'll be okay. Because it's going to be later on. It's going to be after my time because God's already insured me years. And Hezekiah really was short-sighted. He was almost indifferent. He was focused completely upon himself. Do we find ourselves in a situation right now where we can be like Hezekiah? Where we look and we say, well, at least I don't have the coronavirus. Somebody else may have it, but it's no big deal. Or maybe we'll say, well, if I get the coronavirus and if I die, it's no big deal. So you just throw caution to the wind and you're going to go do whatever you want. And we don't don't have the wisdom. We understand that for those of us who are saved, that... If we do contract him, we were to pass away. Yes, we understand we'll be in heaven. But that doesn't give me the, the wisdom to just say, throw everything, caution to the wind. Hezekiah's like, man, eh. he was pretty flippant about it. I have to think, I might be saved, but what about my friend? What about my neighbor? What about my coworker who does not have the same hope, the same comfort that I have? Maybe you're here and you're watching with us and you're trying to figure this all out for yourself. You're not understanding what's happening. Why is, why is this all going on? You're trying to figure out how to solve everything, and we know we can't. In fact, as we continue to look just to ourselves, that creates more of the problem. We start to look and try and figure everything out, but just looking upon ourselves and being selfish about our perspective, it actually causes more anxiety, more fear, more depression. It can, it can allow extremism to, to creep into our lives. Maybe you're fearful because as you look at this whole situation, this pandemic we face, you start wondering and start thinking, wait, if I were to contract the coronavirus, if something like that were to happen to me, what would happen if I die? Maybe you don't have that hope. And Isaiah in chapter 40 is going to help us to understand a little bit about what does happen. What, What is the comfort, the hope that God offers to us? Maybe you're going to respond like the Jews in exile did. Notice down in Isaiah chapter 40, down in verse number 27. 
He says this down in verse 27. God is speaking, and he says, Why have you said this, O Jacob, or O Israel? And speak, O Israel. You say this, My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. The, the Jews are looking, and basically what they're saying is, doesn't God see what's happening? Isn't he aware of the situation that I'm facing? Has he chosen not to hear me? And isn't it pretty easy, at least I find it to be easy, that sometimes in the midst of crisis situations, we can just look at ourselves and we don't look to God. We don't wonder about what God is doing and asking what he is doing. Well, you can could, you could imagine these Jews in exile. After 70 years, they probably felt that way. In fact, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7 reminds us that the Jews felt the same way when they were in Egypt. They started to wonder, after 400 years, does God care? Does God hear? And yet, me, after a few weeks, starts to wonder, God, are you there? Are you listening? Do you, do you know what's going on? Are you aware of what's happening in our world right now? We, we know the answers. Yes, he is. But sometimes we, we really do struggle and battle. Can I ask you a sobering question? Have you found yourself already in the recesses of your mind? In the quietness of the night, wondering some of these exact same things about God, about the pandemic that we face, about the, in, in our nation, worldwide? Do we wonder, does God care? Does he really care? We know the answer is yes. And we know that God in his wisdom has is, is allowed some of these things. But back to our text in Isaiah. Isaiah is told at the very beginning of chapter 40, with all of that in context, he's told that I want you to be thinking about something. See, God in his wisdom knew the Jews would battle with these questions in the middle of their crisis. And if we're honest, so do we at times. Over the next two weeks, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 40's comfort offered to us by God. What does God offer to us in the words of Isaiah chapter 40 that bring about comfort, hope, in the midst of a crisis? Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 8, where we look this, this evening in this session, it proclaims the glory of God for the salvation of all dying humanity. The very fact that Emmanuel, the God with us, broke into humanity demonstrates that God does care for us. The grace of God is completely unleashed into our sin-cursed world. And this dying world now has the eternal word of God, the glory of God being proclaimed to all of us. As people hear and believe the message of Jesus Christ, as they hear the hope of our Savior, they can learn that they can be forgiven, that they can be comforted that they can be strengthened. And in that, God is glorified as people find their hope through Jesus Christ. This chapter in Isaiah begins with a message of the grace of God. And it begins to all messengers. You'll notice a couple times here where it's not directly said, Isaiah, I want you to say this. Or so-and-so. It's left, left very nebulous. It's just, hey, make this statement. Look how he starts in verse, verse 40, verse 1. He says, comfort ye. Comfort ye, my people. I want you to bring consolation to them. They're discouraged. They're depressed. They're suffering. They need words of encouragement in their exile. And so Isaiah is going to, to come here and bring this comfort. The prophets 
were often sent to disturb the comfortable, which they do often. In the first half of the book, you'll see Isaiah disturbing the comfort of Israel. And yet they're also taught and taught, asked to comfort the disturbed. We have a number of people right now in our society who are in a situation where their life has been disturbed. They're hurting. They're wondering what is going to happen. And we have the opportunity as believers to comfort them with the words of God, with the very essence of who God is, helping them to understand that God is the way to have comfort, to have peace. God wants Isaiah to console them by telling them how determined God is to assure them of their forgiveness. The exiled Jews here are being told that their sin is going to be forgiven. In fact, he tells them in verse number two, he says, speak comfortably to Jerusalem. The word comfortably there has this idea of speak tenderly to their heart, to to speak directly to them, not to come down and berate them, not to come down and tell them how much lack of faith they have, but to look with, with comfort with words of grace, as we heard the other day from, from Dave, to talk with seasoning words of salt, the salt of God's word, to talk about what God has done, who God is, and using that. And even in the verse, he says, speak comfortably, cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all of her sins." He looks and he says to them, your words have been forgiven. Your actions have been forgiven. What a great moment in the book of Isaiah. 39 chapters of, of this, the, the wicked corruption of Israel being exposed. The sins of Judah being brought to light. And now Isaiah comes and says, comfort my people. Their sins have been forgiven. They have paid for, they have been atoned. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us. He provides something wonderful. Being crushed by the weight of our sins, Christ provides pardon for our sins. Their sins, our sins can be atoned for on the cross. Christ has covered them. He has paid for all of them. The burden of sin is lifted and the relief is brought to our hearts. Christ takes our sins. He took our sins and he bore them on the cross. To know that my sins have been forgiven, to know that they have been covered brings me great comfort, great joy. To know that God has paid for those, just like he talked with with the people of Israel and Judah there. For Christians, we stand a lot further along in the redemptive history of humanity than the, the Jews did even back then. We know that this atonement can be provided for and is provided for by the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. God had this work of cross of the cross in his mind when he was talking about Isaiah 40. Isaiah may not have understood all of it, but God definitely understood what he was going to say. In fact, as we look at the next couple verses, you're going to see, it's going to highlight in your mind, those of you who've been a believer for a long time, you know your Bible, you're going to look and you're going to jump instantly to John the Baptist. Look at the verses. Verse number three, it says, The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hills shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. All you have to do is on the screen, look at a couple of those verses, and you'll see that every gospel writer attributes this section of Isaiah directly to John the Baptist. They look and they say, here is the one who fulfills this. He is the voice of the one who is crying in the wilderness. And what does that voice cry out? When you look at that voice, it's crying out in the wilderness. It's saying, prepare for the coming of the Lord. The voice is saying, he's coming. The Lord, the Messiah, the one, he is coming. And they use these beautiful pictures of this idea of a king is coming. And so the people have to go out and they prepare the way for the king to come. What's interesting is, is the king is coming. The idea is to live it out. Think about this. The people who were going to prepare the way of the Lord, they didn't know when the king was coming. They didn't know exactly at what time the king would come. They just walked out by faith and said, the king is coming. We need to prepare. We need to live it out by faith. We can't see. We don't know when, but we're going to do that. We're going to prepare. And even as John the Baptist in the Gospels began to prepare, and he would, he would preach out repentance, he would talk about preparing the way, come to the Lord. And it's interesting, as, as you think about the, the faith that is lived out here, and the way that people live, John the Baptist exemplified that faith. Think about the life of John the Baptist. As John the Baptist goes out, what did he do? He preached repentance. Powerful messages of repentance. Turn from your sins. Turn away. So he talked about repentance. He knew that the message was important and not the messenger. Even in our text in Isaiah, you don't hear it saying, Isaiah said this, Isaiah says this. It's just cry out. Because it's not the voice, the one who's saying it that's important. It was the message. Remember what John said in John chapter 3 and verse 30? He said, he's the one who needs to increase. I need to decrease. It's not about me. It was about the one who was going to come. It was about the king who was coming, the Messiah. It's about the message that we have to share. In fact, remember that message. Remember what he says. He wanted people to clearly identify with Jesus Christ, the son of God. Remember what he said? He says, behold, behold the lamb of God. And what did he recognize about this lamb of God? He's the one who takes away the sins of the world. Our hope, our comfort comes in the resting of understanding that Jesus Christ is the one who takes away the sins of the world. We look and we see the shackles around us, the shackles of sin on our life. The direct result of the Lord's coming is going to be the revelation of his glory. God has graciously chosen to share his glory with humanity through Jesus Christ. What is made clear through the words of pro- the, these words of prophecy is that God is not merely talking about a Jewish return of exile, but that his ultimate purpose is in the saving of humanity from their exile, their shackles of sin. That is where God is pointing this passage ultimately to Jesus Christ. It says a little bit further, it says, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Jesus Christ is the manifestation of God's glory in the flesh. When Jesus Christ came to earth, he demonstrated, he manifested, showed God's glory to this earth. The display of God's glory is nowhere greater than at the cross of Christ. It is there that we behold God's attributes in in great wonder. 
we see his displayed love, his mercy, his grace, his wisdom, his power, his wrath, his justice, his patience. And the list could go on and on. We see the glory of God even on the cross as Jesus Christ hangs there in agony. We are in essence given here when it talks about the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. We're given the essence of the gospel. That there is one who is going to come and is going to reveal the glory of God. We know that that person is Jesus Christ. We look forward, we look back, they look forward to the Messiah. But we understand that when the glory of the Lord appeared, when Emmanuel broke into human history, that God was with us. That's a God who cares. That he's here. He's present. He's not just afar off, but God is close. God is near. He understands our, our struggles. He understands our infirmities. He understands the weaknesses that we face because he has been here. And he's went through it just as we have. And all flesh, it says, what's interesting in the next part of the text is, it says, and all flesh shall see it together. Many, many people, when Christ came the first time, saw God's glory. John chapter 1, verse 14. John says, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And, and many people saw that in Christ's first coming. But there is no doubt that Christ, and there is no doubt that Christ fulfills this prophecy of the glory of God being revealed. But has all flesh seen it together? Note in the next verse, verse 6, when we talk about all flesh is grass, that phrase, all flesh, refers to humanity, all of humanity. In verse number five, when it says, all flesh shall, shall see it together, has all flesh seen the glory of God together? Not yet. There will be that day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Many saw that during that time. And we see that as everyone shall confess one day the glory of God, what does it tell me about this passage? That yes, Isaiah was, was proclaiming God. And yes, John the Baptist was proclaiming the glory of God. And he was that forerunner of Jesus Christ. But we, like them, have this opportunity to proclaim the glory of God. We have the opportunity to cry out and declare that the Lord is coming. Not in his first coming, but we know that he's coming again. And we ought to be preparing for the coming of the Lord. We ought to be showing and telling others about the coming of the Lord, that they can experience the hope and the comfort of the one who is going to be coming again so that people are prepared, that they are ready for the Messiah as he comes back, as Christ comes back. Like Isaiah and I, them, we have this ability to understand this and to share that comfort in crisis is found in Christ. In the midst of human crises, in the midst of our sin crises, comfort is found through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. We need to be sharing that. And we can have a, a certainty. We should be like John. We should be sharing our message so that when every knee shall bow, we are helping others to prepare. We should be like John, sharing the message of the gospel of re and repentance that gives hope and comfort. We should live our lives that are preparing for the coming of Christ. We should be pointing others to Christ saying, behold our God. 
He is the one who is able to give you strength. He is the one who is able to lift you up, to give you hope and despair, to give you comfort and hurt. He is the one who we can turn to and the one that you need to turn to. We turn to Jesus Christ and we can have this certainty. We can have clear certainty. Why? Look at the next part of the verse. The next part of the verse says, the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Not the mouth of art, the mouth of God. He has said, this is what will happen. That I will send someone to come to earth, my son. I will be the one who provides for you. I will be the one who strengthens you. The mouth of the Lord has spoken it. God's word confirms that Christ was going to come to earth. And since we know that that happened, we know that we ought to live according to God's word. It should change us. We should be proclaiming Christ in difficult times, speaking words of comfort. And we should be thankful that it is through Jesus Christ that we can have hope. We should be thankful that in moments of ultimate discouragement, we can find peace and rest. In fact, in the greatest of griefs that many people face, the ultimate discouragement, it's death. As, as we think about death, the passage turns to that. In fact, you, we think about it right now. We hear about it in our society. We hear about it every day, on every feed, on every Twitter feed, on every Facebook post, on every Instagram, on anything you're looking, any, any little news feed, something about the coronavirus or the way that it's impacting our economy or the way that it's impacting lives nationwide, worldwide, it shows up. We're faced right now with this, this pandemic where we look and we say, what's going to happen? What, what's going on? And death, death is all around us right now. It might not be right in our vicinity, but we see it consistently. And the comforting words of, of salvation are needed for a dying world. Like no other time in our recent history, we're faced with this. This daily perspective of death. Sure, we've always known that death is around and that death occurs. But death is unnerving. Even for the most stalwart of believers, there are still moments of thinking about death and being unnerved by it. What about for an individual who fears dying? Who has no hope beyond death? What happens if my, my, I contract this virus? What happens if I die? What, what's next? It can be extremely unsettling. In fact, in Adam, the whole world lies underneath this death penalty. We face it. The verse, the verse says in verses 6 to 8, you're going to see this shift in the passage. He's talking about um, the mouth of the Lord has spoken it, this confidence, this surety we have. And then he says, the voice said cry. And he said, well, what should I cry? Cry this, all flesh is grass. And all the goodliness or the dependability thereof is as a flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. The spirit of the Lord blows upon it and surely the people is grass. He looks and he he highlights the fact that as humans, we face a frailness. In fact, you see the contrast. You see that the God of glory in the first, the verses here we just talked about. The one who one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess before him. The majesty of our great God. He's eternal. He's powerful. He's significant. 
And then you come to all grass, all flesh is like grass. We're temporal. We're insignificant. We're powerless. We're, we're not dependable. We're just, we're like the grass that when the heat of the desert blows in in the Mediterranean climate, it just wilts the grass away. And sometimes in a very short amount of time. And that picture is being drawn here and shown that we are being reminded as a human race, all of us, we're faced with the clear reality that one day we will all die. It may not be by a virus, but death is inevitable. We flourish for a brief time. You know, athletes will win their gold medal. Well, they won't win their gold medals this year. The scientists, they do research. Young women perfect their beauty. Conquerors build empires. And yet, all of that goes by the wayside as we wither and we die in our age. You say, well, there's, what hope is there in that? What, what comfort is there to, to read through a passage and then just be told, well, everybody's going to die? Because without bad news, there is not good news. Without hearing the reality of our situation, it's hard for us to face the comfort and joy and peace that we can find in Jesus Christ. We look to the word of God. Why do we look to the word of God to find comfort and peace? Because the the contrast keeps going. Verse number eight, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Everything that has been said, that there is one who is going to come. Why is he going to come? Because we have a problem. We have a greater virus, the virus of sin. We have a greater struggle. It's the ultimate death that we will face. And God's word steps in. And God in his divine wisdom allowed his son and had his son step into humanity so that we could find comfort in crisis through Jesus Christ. You cannot find comfort I cannot find comfort in my own human existence. Our bodies will fail. They're not dependable. We cannot save ourselves from death, let alone from eternal death. But the word of God does not fail. The message of hope comes from the truthful words of God. It can be trusted. The mouth, the word of the Lord has spoken it. The word of God does not fail. As believers, we must... Go back to the word of God and say, what does God's word say about any epidemic, any pandemic, any crises that I face? What do I know? Because as I learn God's word, I'm learning about the revealed God. God has revealed himself to us through his word, what he expects from us, what he wants from us and who he is and what comfort and strength he gives through his word. So as we go to God's word, what does God's word state about the human crises that we face bigger than the pandemic we face. This crisis that that it talks about, that all flesh is grass and that we're going to wither, that we are mortal. What, What does God's word say about that? As we look at God's word, we can very clearly see that God has created humans, you and I, to honor him, to serve him, to fellowship with him. Uh, Revelation chapter four and verse number 11 says this, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. We were not created for just ourselves. 
we were created to honor, please, fellowship, and worship God. But humanity stepped in. Humanity chose rather to sin against God rather than to fellowship and to follow him, rather than to serve him. Romans chapter 3 says for all of us, every single one, we've sinned. We have broken God's law. We have missed his mark. We have violated his standard. We have fallen short of his glory. And so our problem is that we have sin. Now, what does sin do? Sin has a penalty. That penalty is death. Why do we face death? We face death because sin, all the way back with our first father, Adam, entered into humanity. And so now as we face the, the death of our, of our being, physically, we know that we have a problem. In fact, it says, for the wages, the payment of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The basic meaning of death is separation. There's going to be a physical death that we all face. We are going to be separated from our, 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 our body and our soul will be separated when I die. But there's a bigger death that we need to be really concerned about. It's an everlasting or an eternal death. The spiritual death that we face. It separates a person, both body and soul, from God forever in hell. That's the greatest epidemic we face. We, we look to it and we say, I, I need my death taken care of. How does it get taken care of? How do I know that I don't face this eternal death in hell? What, what option do I have? What hope is there for me? Because obviously I'm a sinner and the payment for my sin is death. So, so what hope do I have? What comfort do I have? It comes through Jesus Christ. You know, we as humans, we've tried. We've tried time and time again to figure out a way to get eternal life, the religion, giving money to, to, to churches, trying to be moral, trying to be good people, trying to do the things that, that you know, we've heard through different religious experiences. Oh, get baptized or attend church or do these different things. But everything we do falls short of what God says. Our good works cannot get us there. Notice Titus 3, verse 5. It says, not by works of righteousness, not by the good things that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. It's, it's Christ's grace. It's his mercy that allows us to be saved. It's God loving us enough to allow his son to enter in to humanity. Notice in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace, God's grace, our, he's given us this, this favor, this kindness that we don't deserve. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone can boast. I can't earn my way to heaven. You can't either. We can't do enough good things. There was no way for the Jew to be brought out of exile on their own. They needed God's intervention. There is no way for us as humans to, to be exiled from the shackles of our sin on our own merits, on our own accord. We need Jesus Christ. We needed that because that's what God said we needed. That is God's plan, not a human plan. Notice Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God, was sent by God to pay the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross in our place. Notice Romans 5.8. It says, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, notice it's not when I've done enough good things, 
But when I was still a sinner, Christ died for us. He died for me. He died for you. The hope that we have in the midst of facing death is Jesus Christ. Christ is the comfort that we find in the midst of our crises. You say, well, how do I get this gift? In order to receive Christ's gift of salvation, you must turn from your sins. The idea, the term we use often is repent. Repent from your sins and put your trust in Christ alone as the only hope of eternal life. John chapter 4, Jesus 14, verse 6, Jesus said this. Jesus clearly states, I am the way, the only way to heaven. I am the truth. I'm not lying to you. I'm not making this up. This is not just a pipe dream. He says, I'm truthfully telling you the way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth. He's the one who gives us life, the opposite of death. The thing we are struggling with, the, 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 despair, the, despair, uh, the despair that we face daily here, I'm thinking about death, Christ is the one who offers the antidote to that. Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for your sins and mine. What joy can be found through that? It's, it's a wonderful hope that we have. He said this, whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved in a prayer of utter dependence to God. To look up and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins. That is what I need. That is what you need. We need Jesus Christ. He says this, whoever hears my words and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life. Not an everlasting death, not that spiritual separation, everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Hope is found through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Comfort in the midst of crises is found through Christ. We need Jesus Christ. You need Jesus Christ. As you, as you look, you say, does God care? That was the question that I asked earlier. The Jews wondering, does God still care about us? The answer is absolutely God cares about us. He cares so much that he was willing to send his one and only son to earth to die for us. That is great care. That is tenderness. That is compassion. To know that God loved you and me so much that he would send Jesus Christ to die for you, to, to die for us. What a wonderful display of comfort, of care, of hope, of kindness. Jesus Christ comes to this earth to die on the cross for our sins. So I ask you two questions tonight or today or whenever you're watching this. First of all, are you a messenger of hope and comfort? As you, as you look at your life, maybe you're here and you're saying, I know I'm saved. I've experienced the joy of accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior. Well, then what are we told to do? To comfort. To comfort with what? With our voice, with our words. To, to proclaim the King is coming. He's going to come again. And you need to be ready. You need to know about him. To proclaim words of comfort that says, let me explain to you. I know you're concerned right now about death. Let me explain to you the antidote to death. 
through Jesus Christ. Let me give you hope through the words of Jesus Christ. Are we being messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, we even have this option. We've been talking the simple Christianity. We've been going through. Could you take this and start being a messenger of hope? You say, well, I can't, I can't be around people. What about using FaceTime? What about using a Zoom or a, another photo streaming or a, a web streaming device or opportunity? What about looking and saying, hey, I, I want to start doing maybe a Bible study. We have some people who've already started this week. They're doing it over, over online. And they're just interacting with each other and doing some of their Bible studies and discipling Bible studies. You could do the same thing. Maybe you don't want to do a video. You can just talk to each other on the phone, sowing words of grace, words of comfort, words of hope. But we as believers, we need to be like John was. We need to be like Isaiah was and offering those words to others, to individuals. The other question I have comes to some of you who may be watching. You may be wondering. Maybe you're looking and saying, I really have never accepted God's gracious gift of salvation. I've only heard a little bit about Jesus Christ. Maybe sometimes I've just brushed him off, but I find myself here watching and listening because I'm really concerned about this whole pandemic. I really don't have a lot of comfort in my life. I really would like to know what there is and what God has to offer. I ask you this question. Have you ever accepted God's gracious gift of salvation? If not, you could very easily in a simple prayer, you could acknowledge to God that you're a sinner. You could tell him of your desire to turn from that sin and ask him for forgiveness, to thank him for sending Jesus Christ to die for your sins and to ask Jesus to be your personal savior and to give you eternal life. You could do that right now, even as you're just watching and you're, you're, you're dwelling on those points on the screen. You're saying, I want Jesus Christ. I want to know that, that I am going to live forever with God. I do not want to face the eternal death. I'm maybe terrified about this physical death now, but I want to be reconciled with God. I want to be made right with God when it comes to my eternal life. You know, if you're watching this and you've done that, We'd love to connect with you. Maybe you've, you've watched this on YouTube. You can comment or send us, a, send us an email. Maybe you're watching it online or you're watching it on Facebook. Send us a message. We'd love to be able to connect with you a little bit more on how to know that you're on your way to heaven, to how to really have that comfort in this crisis through Jesus Christ. I ask you, friend, are you a messenger of the comfort? And have you experienced the comfort of Christ? If not, please make today the day of your salvation. Make today the day that you decide to follow Christ. There's nothing greater, no greater joy than to know that you are saved and that you're on your way to heaven. I pray that you would today accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us in our lives to demonstrate the comfort, the comforting words of Christ, to know that he provides for us salvation, to rest in that, to trust in that, to look forward to his coming, to look forward to that time when we will spend eternity with him in heaven. 
But Lord, help us, even as believers, not to look past our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, who may not have that comfort. And Lord, help us to give words of comfort, words of hope, grace words that are filled with your hope, with your word, with your power. Lord, thank you that we can trust in you and know that we have eternal life. Pray that you would give us a, a good time as we have the opportunities now to fellowship maybe with our friends or our family. But Lord, I do want to take time to pray for our country. Lord, we pray for wisdom for our leaders. We pray for them to know what to do. Lord, I pray for wisdom even in the people that there would be wisdom in how to act. Lord, not to overreact. Help us to be wise in how we interact with people. And Lord, I pray most of all for our nation and for their souls. Lord, may they each and every person in this country come to know you as Savior, to put their trust in you and experience the comfort and crises through Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we do pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a great day.